Hello, all you amazing Spirited Conversations podcast listeners. It's been a while since we posted. We have been adding video to our podcasts and it has created some holdup in the editing process. Today's podcast uh, has a little snippet of video that we will post onto our YouTube channel. So if you do want to watch Tracy explaining what she's talking about in one section of the podcast, where she uses some visual demonstrations to help elicit a point, then feel free to jump on and take a look at that. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy episode 20. Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, my friends. I can't wait to uh, have another deep dive with you. Today, we are talking about somatosensory processing. We are going to try not to move too fast into praxis. <laughs> so how are we going to do that? Because, yeah. Corey, don't ask a praxis question to at least 40 minutes, okay? So we're going to try not um, to go to praxis too fast. Obviously, there's huge inputs from a, some matter sensory processing influences and contributes to praxis. So, so that's a natural route, I guess, to go there. But we're going to try and hang out in really just defining what is it and why does it matter and how does it contribute to function for the kids we work with and we will possibly talk about how it might influence other sensory systems like the STIB. But anyway, we'll get to praxis, but we're going to try not to dive there too fast first. So, Corey, how do you put it together? What is what is a somatosensory system to you? Well, I guess for the three of us, it automatically brings up tactile input and proprioceptive input yeah um I guess over time at some point those like you would hear the term enough and you would say what do you mean what's yeah what is that uh and and people be like oh it's tactile and probe oh it's tactile and probe and then I I was like okay so I guess those two together become somatosensory processing I ended up looking up the word like the latin root of somato (laughs) and it means body so makes sense like body processing so what other senses that contribute to uh, me processing my body and it's like not just these two senses but pretty significantly the tactile system and the proprioceptive system are going to give me information about my body so that helped me conceptualize that and make that kind of link together a little bit more Um, but I when you were talking in the intro Michelle I had this thought about oh you say praxis Corey No, I promise it's not a praxis-related thing. It's a um, modulation and discrimination yes. question around somatosensory input. I'm just trying to think. The I guess with with all the other systems, we have a pretty – I feel like it's a lot clearer where you get a modulation issue. And, and in the tactile system, I see that. I can really discern that there's a either an over um, – I don't, I don't want to say – 
over response, but it's a big response to a small tactile or to a small input sometimes. Um, And I can discern that that child's nervous system is finding it, that input is overwhelming to them. But yeah, I guess in the tactile system, I can really clearly see that there might be modulation challenges. But in the proprioceptive system, I don't really understand how how I discern modulation functions in the proprioceptive system. And I just, I've never really associated proprioception with modulation. To me, it's not in part of that primitive evaluative processing, but maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe let's clarify. Yeah. So uh, let's clarify. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Come on in, Tracy. (laughs) The clarifier. (laughs) I get to be the clarifier. That's funny. So, first of all, I love that you looked up that somato means body. But also, interestingly, proprio, it means oneself. Or from oneself. And so, Mm. in some ways, like, before we jump into talking about modulation and discrim, which we're going to get to quickly, um, But there's this funny thing that happens when we talk about somatosensory processing, and that is that it it is um, taking information from the body itself Mm. and giving information to the nervous system about the self-systems. And so in Mm. some ways, the proprioceptors, we think about them as the muscle joint receptors and Mm. fascial receptors, perhaps. there's a broader category. So then we could think about it as the interoceptors, right? Sometimes yes. we use the word interoception to think just about the deeper receptors that are in the gut or the viscera, the lungs, the heart, the respiration, mm. swallow, breathe function. But those are all actually somatosensory receptors. So when right. we're talking about interoception, when we're talking about muscle receptors that are sensory receptors, when we're talking about skin receptors, endoderm, ectoderm, those receptors are all tactile receptors, and those are all parts of the sensory system. And, you know, you can kind of carve the world up in different categories, mm. interoceptors versus extraoceptors, receptors of the self. But one's interesting that our ear muscles are muscles and they're somatosensory receptors that mm. guide our listening. Our eye muscles that are taking in external information from the visual surround, the information is is gathered by the proprioceptors of the eyes. And so mm. even our vision is actually mediated by somatic sensation. Listening. Swallowing. Swallowing. All of those functions. Chewing. Yeah. 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 They're all based in somatic sensations. So in some ways, the vestibular system is this grand mm. system. We talked about it in the last episode. Mm. The somatosensory system is mind-blowingly connected to everything. Mm. So mm. I just think that's important to kind of say. Highlight. Yeah. yeah. And then. And I, I guess. 
Oh, sorry, you go. I was, oh. oh, no, I was just going to say if, if I was being particular in the word somato meaning body, all of those things relate to body. So that makes sense to me now that, you know, interoception could also be part of somatosensory processing. So it's just historically that we pulled that out or is pull that out or is that where the thinking was at the time to have it separated and it not necessarily sitting under interoception? Like why? I've never thought about that, Tracy, but you're right. I've, I know that there's some discussion around um, the vestibular labyrinth being a proprioceptor, but, um, you know, I, I think we shy away from that. Like I think in the latest SI book they go, ah, oh, for the, you know, purposes of this book, we won't, you know, be going there. Do you Why? think it's to do mm. with the fact that – sorry, Michelle. As I said, do you think it's to do with the fact that it hasn't been really – like the interoceptive processing part of somatosensation has been like – kind of not recognized in a way earlier on so maybe that was pulled out to kind of just make it a thing like do you think maybe it just flew under the radar and then people were like hey wait a second like this isn't really a thing and we probably should be paying more attention to it like is that why why we and sort of a, pulled that out so that that it's and it's a recategorization rather than a now we know we took them about you know bud introduced the concepts of um interception yeah. to us yeah yeah, totally. That's exactly what it is. So it isn't a concept that was talked about when Dr. Ayers was mm. writing. And even though Sherrington and people way back in the 1800s and even before that would talk mm. about it, now there are people who claim that, you know, it was sort of discovered in like the 1990s or something, mm. which I'm sort of poking fun at. Okay, I'm sorry. I should regard all scientists as... um fully regarded and I do but I just think that there's history that yes. you can carve up the world in lots of different ways and maybe yes. this is like the least important thing that we should be talking about but it, it's confusing to people no, because it is. they think oh yeah. interoception that's so earth-shattering and well it's all under the same theory mm. that Dr. Ayers wrote about and so it's just different concepts and words applied to different parts of the body and different ways the receptors might work. Um, what's interesting in the interoceptive work that's going on now is there's mm. a lot of focus on, on this phrase interoceptive awareness, which is sort of mm. related to how when we're aware of, you know, the feeling that is arising in our body, that that awareness can lead us to a different set of solutions that might mm. um, be available mm. to us for coping or regulatory mm. functions or for taking care of our physiology. Like I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm needing something. But awareness is a skill set mm. that is really related to precision of processing. So it's mm. kind of this blending of sensory discrimination and sensory modulation. Mm. So let's talk a little bit more about somatosensation and how there really are structural and functional neural pathways that support modulation and discrimination, and they give rise to different functional capacities. And that's what we have to be able to tune into as clinicians, is the thing that is troubling for this individual that we're supporting, is it really based in processing difficulties 
in one or the other system or how they interact with each other. And we always have to be disciplining ourselves to do that kind of clinical reasoning. So, yeah, so sensory discrimination gives rise to perception, action, processing, and mm-hmm. gives us the capacity to become quite skillful mm-hmm. and to use the awareness of our body to guide our ability to be able to do everything from throw a hammer against a wall because we're trying to play a game that's hammer throwing or to be able to, yeah, that's like a game, right? Or is it? I don't know if it is. Axe throwing? Oh, axe axe throwing? throwing. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about axe dog? Throwing? Well, you certainly know the people you wouldn't go axe throwing. <laughs> <laughs> you Americans, oh, I don't know what you get up to over there. Uh, we have axe throwing. I've never been, but I've seen videos of axes bouncing back off walls. That makes me a little, little concerned. <laughs> um, but yeah, fun, fun, fun. Right. But it allows you to do the things that are like vigorous, intense, power driven. Yeah. And it all the way down to think about a neurosurgeon having to finesse the most exquisitely intricate kind of manipulation of their fingers and in, in order to create something that most of us wouldn't have the skill to do. Mm-hmm. And so you or an artist or a musician who can use fine nuanced action patterns to produce these exquisite results, right? Mm-hmm. So a system can be so finely tuned that it allows you this super high degree level of skill mm-hmm. in athletics or in aesthetically driven kinds of skill-based actions, but also just like in our everyday life, like Mm. when you have to zip your coat and you can do it without looking, when you need to open your water bottle while you're, you know, opening the car door or something, and you can Mm. finesse multiple motor plans all at one time and be aware of where your elbow is pushing the door and how your hand is turning the jar and All of those things are available to us simultaneously because of the exquisite processing of the body receptors, the somatoreceptors. So where do we get, uh, can you help me with the modulation component of um, somatosensation? I guess that's tricky because there is a number of different receptors involved. Like it's not just one pathway from the vestibular labyrinth into the, like there's tactile, there's proprioceptive. Mm-hmm. Now I'm learning there's all the other components around interoception and the processing of oneself in any way. So I guess, is that why it's hard to pull apart the modulation piece around this or like, how should I be thinking about it? Okay. So the somatosensory receptors that are either tactile or proprioceptors, mm-hmm. whether they're coming from the limbs or the core of the body or from interoceptors, the information is going to ascend through the detail system that goes through a particular set of pathways called the dorsal column, medial and meniscus system. There's a tiny bit of detail that's also carried by the partner system, the anterolateral pathways, Mm -hmm. but most of the anterolateral pathways carry information into more low-level brainstem and really low-level limbic processing and are involved in uh, detecting 
whether information is comfortable or not comfortable. So it's valence-based processing mm -hmm. informed by modulation. And that's true of tactile and proprioceptors and interoceptors. Okay. Oh, I had a thought. Is yeah. it at the point where, you know how if you get your, I'm thinking of jujitsu, but you know when you get your joint stretched to the point where you're like, I might Yo. hurt myself here. Is that then the modulation function of the proprioceptive system coming in? Because that's uncomfortable, obviously. That's You're exactly getting a firing. Right. Okay, I'm, I'm with you now. Yeah, so it's always on the valence of comfort to discomfort, pain versus safety. So it sets up that valence and it detects when there are shifts that are moving you out of comfort and into discomfort. So the proprioceptors are a really, really critical part of our pain registration. And but what's interesting is I've worked with a number of kids. Once I understood this, you know, I could see where like little ones I would be working with who were, um, had, had differences in the way that they weight shift. They were often really uncomfortable with weight shifting because the proprioceptors of Wait, you want me to have a weight shift and, and some of that's going to pull me off of my midline. So the relationship of vestibular and proprioceptive mm. processing can set up where the proprioceptors start to be restricted in what's comfortable. And you can see a lot of kids actually, once you see it, then you're like, Oh, I see what's happening there where there's this sense of over negative response which is a modulation difficulty, um, and it's related to poor processing in general, related in that case to proprioceptive over-response or defensive response. Be related to vestib processing as well in that avoidance. I don't want to move off this space. So I'll stay here, but I'm starting to feel some pain because I've been in this position for a long time. Oh, I've got to move off that. So could that be, you know, that's another profile, I guess, where it's the vestibular system saying, stay put, stay put, but the probes going, oh, I want to move. I want to weight shift. I'm feeling this deep pressure and I want to shift it to the other side now. Were you sort of saying though in your example, Tracy, where, because with Michelle's example, the kiddo is um, getting, say, they're kneeling on one knee and that knee starting to register, hey, detecting some pain from kneeling for so mm. long, weight shift. So that's one situation where the body wants to shift the weight. But with mm. your example, Tracy, where you're talking about kids that don't want to shift the weight due to a midline processing body and space issue, and then because of that, I guess this is where the vestibule and the probe really mm. integrate together, but because of that uh, unsurety around managing their body in space, you get that signal from primarily from the vestibular system, but it's then translating into pain with the weight shifting on, or not pain, but discomfort or resistance to weight shifting in the proprioceptive system because there's the vestibular-based challenge around midline and control. And then it's perceived as a threat, I guess. The weight shift is perceived as threatening to my stability and my sense of myself in space and so now I'm going ow ow or I look funny like 
I don't know. Is that what you were? Or I do is it that really what fast. You were, yeah, maybe. Or you do it. It becomes yeah, more exactly phasy. Right. Yeah, because it's like, ooh, I'll just get yeah. right over to the other side really fast. Yeah. So that brings up the whole. So yes, in the proprioceptive system, you can see modulation-based problems with movement patterns, but it's based more in aphasic movement fuels mm. the higher-level proprioceptive pathways more likely. Mm. The tonic holding patterns fire more into the anterolateral pathway. And so you do see this sort of resistance to maintaining tonic holding patterns in the proprioceptors. So you have, say you have a kid, I was, before I was thinking how it's surprising how the vestibulus input disrupts the proprioceptive modulation function because you get a, a perception of unsurety in the vestibular processing or a weakened vestibular processing, and that's influencing now weight shifting which is a proprioceptive tactile somatosensory function. But then if, so if I rapidly fire, and I guess this makes sense, but so if I rapidly fire or rapidly move my body in space, I fire more into the dorsal column medial lumniscus pathway. Is that right? Which is more discriminative. So what I'm getting, my, I'm giving myself more body awareness. And that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm activating it more rapidly, but I, but if I, so if I'm tonically holding my body in a position, I'm not getting as much discriminative input. Is that right? Yeah. Well, if you really tonically hold and you don't have mm. these the little adjustments that are happening, the tonic can either habituate quickly. So you kind of lose mm. the source of information about where you are. And right. also the tonic proprioceptors help to activate the inhibitory GABA-based functions that are holding really down regulation and deep inhibition. And so they set up habituation cycles and they are involved in a lot of the modulatory functions. So there are all these different kinds of gating mechanisms and gating mm. can happen in lots of different ways. So if you, if you stub your toe, you might shake your foot to activate phasic kind of gating, but you could also just hold pressure and it might downregulate rather rapidly, right? So we have different ways of shifting the intensity of response and that's related more to the modulation functions. Mm. And your nervous system organizes those based on shifts in relative states of comfort or discomfort. So if you're in an upright posture, and you are activating tonic activation to hold yourself, and then you get engaged in paying attention to something, you're not going to maintain that active activation. Mm. So you're going to kind of slide out of it. And then, and then what will happen is you'll start to feel what Michelle was describing, a little discomfort, like I need to weight shift here because mm. I'm kind of sagging on my bones. I'm kind of sagging mm. in my joints. <laughs> And so then that little bit of discomfort is a signal that says, no, I need to activate again. Because the tonic receptors don't stay active without activation. And they tend to mobilize uh, inhibition anyway. So it's hard to maintain it. Versus the phasic receptors, which are be quick fire. So you can't maintain quick fire. You, mm. you, you have to stop. You quick, quick fire, and then you need to recover, and you quick fire, and you recover, and you quick fire, and you recover. But the detail that 
I quick fire because I reach out in space and then I touch the object that I need. And then I need to do something with that object. I need to use it. I need to pick it up or I need to hand it off or I need to do whatever I'm going to do. That's the perception actions. Well, and then it sets the action pattern that changes this firing. It changes the feedback. It changes the sensory signal so that you can have another phasic action in response to the next thing. So people who are very skillful at motor action, for instance, they're continually responding to the update of the phasic firing pattern. And so the proprioceptors in the dorsal column keep giving a little bit of different information, and that keeps generating a fine-tuning of the motor response. And so there, there are two different pathways, two different mm. systems, two different sets of functions that we're always needing to talk about because it's complicated and it's trying to translate it into what we see in kids. You know, is that modulation? Is that discrim? Is that modulation? Is that mm. discrim? That's mm. why we have to have good tests and we have to have really strong clinical reasoning to, to mm. sort it because it, it is a little bit nuanced for sure. Mm. Mm. If I swear it would be a blending of tonic and phasic in the ideal situation. Is that right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because Perfect. maybe I need to tonically hold my core and I need to phasically move my arm. Yes. And so I guess it's, yeah, it always gets complicated, doesn't it? So I find it easy yes. just in, you know, that comment you made about discerning and, you know, and being really specific in our observation and testing. For me, that's why I don't bundle them together a lot. And I do in my thinking and probably when I'm mentoring staff, you know, pull it out. So tactile is separated from proprioceptive. Because for me, when I put it together, it gets a bit of mesh, but in those examples you provided, Tracy, um, you do well to pull tactile out, to pull probe out, as we would with vestib and vision, knowing that they work together in the way that you just mentioned, Corey, that they're, you know, in my mind I was thinking about that, holding a posture, um, the muscle spindles are being really activated to hold me up or pull me back up. As I really get engrossed in what Tracy's saying, I'm collapsing down. And then either the muscles are stretched, my skin feels stretched as well. So I'm getting that tactile input, but then I'm getting to an end range in my joints. So the, the proprioceptives are saying, bone on bone, end range, you know, perk back up again, activate muscles and sit back up. So if I've got that right, they work together, but in the clinic, I actually want to watch the child in terms of tactile and in terms of probe. And I guess that's what our assessments and clean obs are doing, that we're trying to pull out. When Corey and I did the saucy with Anna Bland, she was pulling out what um, some of the traditional things that we've looked at in the clean obs because they merge tactile probe praxis. There's too much in that action to actually just say that it's a test of tactile function or probe function. Anyway, so I think like you, Corey, yeah. and maybe in that your influence in the clinic, I came back from a block of intensives and everyone was saying <laughs> somatosensory processing. It was like, whoa, whoa, who's been here? <laughs> Tracy has <laughs> and Corey has. Corey's introduced a term, but yeah, I know yeah. it works together, but it just helps me be really specific if I don't always in that initial stages. 
consider it as a unit. Well, what do you what do you look at then, Michelle? If you're thinking specifically about tactile, like because you were saying in the clinic, you want to look at the tactile processing and you want to look at the proprioceptive processing. And so, are there distinct things that you that you kind of watch out for that might signal, oh, maybe a tactile processing component in this thing is being disrupted or not? precise or something is going on with the tactile system here or vice versa with probe like you have specific things that you've seen that can trigger Uh, those that can give people an idea of that I can't really think about it off the top of my head Corey um I didn't specifically have an example for tactile other than like a um a sort of unrefined movement in terms of interacting with objects yes makes me wonder about tactile system but like could they could probe could be about probe as well in a way but for me, probe, I always wonder about proprioceptive processing in um, grading of force mm. and how much pressure they're using. And like that to me seems to me more significantly proprioceptively involved rather than tactily driven. And I know that they're still, they're both always going to play a mm. role. Like you said, Tracy, earlier, we weren't recording, but because of the homunculus, I guess, mm. they both feed into that. Um, and tactile kind of is easy in that, like, if they're close or bothering them, then. Well, that's the modulation part. And then the scrim part is, you know, can they discern in that little bunch buttons of beads, or something. buttons, can they discern in the beads, can they pick out the thing that's not the bead? So that yeah. more tactile. I guess in the sequential finger touching is I look at that. I know you can get probe and tactile. But I really look at the force that they're using to bump their index finger to their thumb. I do look at the location mm-hmm. as well. I know that's a bit informed by tactile, but uh, so that speaks to me as pro more than a tactile. So just try to pull some of those out and then blend it together. But it just actually doesn't help me because the kids, as we know, well, I'm not going to go practice first, Michelle. Don't go practice first. But it starts <laughs> to get a bit, you know, even when you say, you know, um, can you do this if you're getting into um, supine or prone positions? Some of the stuff that we're doing in the clean obs has got such a praxis and following um, verbal command element to it. So, yeah. So, Michelle, it's so interesting to think about the where's the division or the line between tactile and probe? Mm. And sometimes it is hard to separate, partly because mm. once they start getting processed, they're really mm. partners. But mm. let's think about this kind of quintessential activity, mm. like playing in the beans, and you're trying to mm. find something, right? Mm. And what you're noticing is that as the child is exploring, so mm. exploration promotes the discriminative system Mm. to be engaged Mm. to tune in to pay attention to be motivated Mm. to find the thing or to make the discernment between Mm. where's the little spider thing or the little rabbit that i'm looking for versus this other field Mm. that i'm feeling right so it's that comparison it's a figure ground tactile discrimination comparison and what happens is that the proprioceptors are grading. So, Corey, you were talking about that sometimes the marker is more about the grading and timing, is mm. a little bit more proprioceptive in nature. And the fine tuned response of 
let me use my distal part of my finger to be precise, to create a really fine pincer grass to find that thing is more tactile in nature. When we have kids who have difficulties with tactile, what happens is that their whole hand operates almost Mm -hmm. like it has a mitten on it all the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have that fine quality of being able to make those little discernments. Mm -hmm. And so you see more ungraded motion, but you Mm -hmm. also see an inability to get the quality from the tactile system that might help the proprioceptors to refine. So they work Mm -hmm. as a tandem. Does that kind of clarify that a little bit? And then I also always think about being not just grading in force, but also as you reach out in space, can you maintain the trajectory of the limb? Can you maintain the directionality? Can you maintain the bilaterality in that or not? Those are more proprioceptive in nature. But once you get to the object that you're going to pick up, let's say you're picking up a pencil or a cup and you when you get to the, the distal point you get mm. to the pencil does the hand configure in a way that is shaped to be able to be automatic and quickly pick it up so mm. that's more of a combination of the tactile system and the proprioceptors guiding that but then yeah. when you go to pick it up It's the tactile system Mm. that's helping you to guide Mm. the finger action. So Mm. it's always the combination that Mm. as you're observing, and it's hard to say all this in words. So this is one of those things where sometimes podcasts could be a vlog, right? Where we could video (laughs) show this because it's so many. We'll show it, Tracy, because we might put the video up. But Yeah. yeah, so if I'm picking, if I'm picking this up, right? Yeah. Yeah. My hand should be in the shape of the vessel and way back port. here in the reach. Yeah. yeah. And that's pro. But then once I get there, the fine tuning of how hard. So there's proof that guides the heaviness, but my fingers touching it and conforming to the shape, that's more tactile. Mm, so yeah. it sort of depends on what the function is within the function. And in- yeah, interesting. I was going to say, in my development, though, when I interacted with objects such as your water bottle and I tactily received the information about that object, has that informed now my ability to preemptively use my proprioceptive system to shape my fingers into the shape of knowing that the water bottle is round and now I have that information in my capacity to then use I've I know what this object is like I know what it feels like in its sensory elements and so now I've used that information and it's in embodied in me and now I can use that to guide my proprioceptive system to anticipate the fact that I need to shape my hand in a rounded shape to pick up the water bottle that I'm picking up so is that going to call that how we develop this yeah it is how we develop it and so that's through this process of affordances right that's the word we use for that and the affordances of what we have capacity for what we understand and what's available out there in the world shape how we build our schemas and our capacities but then i'm thinking about okay so this is a metal water bottle that i'm holding Mm. i remember working with this kid years and years and years ago 
and I had a metal water bottle. He would never touch it because to him, metal didn't go with a drinkable container. Mm. So for him in his mind and in his, the way he had kind of coded the world was that a drinkable container had to never be metal. And that Mm. metal was clearly not a safe thing that you would ever drink anything (laughs) out of. And so, you know, it was a funny thing to kind of realize that the affordances sometimes are telling us about information and meaning on levels that interact with all of this. And Mm. gosh, that's sort of an tangential story, but it just tells you about how affordances bring meaning and meaning comes from a sensory motor experience. Mm. Anyway, interesting. Mm. Mm. I'm thinking of a water bottle that's a soft plastic that's got a bit more resistance or um, so it's not as slippery versus when I first touch a metal bottle, particularly in you're in, <laughs> we're in cooler climates at the moment. So it's got the temperature input and it feels a bit more slippery. So I see it as probes come on in to help shape the hand in a in a position to grab the water bottle. Tactile yeah. said, ooh, it's, oh, I'm going to not put vision in. Tactile said, whoa, it's slipperier than plastics. It said, probe, put, you know, probe, put some more pressure on. Um, yeah. yeah, that's an, a tactile said, yeah, I got it now. Thanks, bro. <laughs> and then helped you, you know, <laughs> grab a bit of weight. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We got it. That's a precise amount of weight. Okay, team, we got the drink bottle to the mouth. I guess this gets disrupted when you don't have good quality information or maybe it's not the receptor itself that's not getting the quality or somehow the quality is being lost in the integration of everything. I don't really understand all of that, but I know that the outcome is that it's hard to do the job of shaping my hand in in fine nuanced ways or adapting to the feedback as I get it. And the only reason that it's so fascinating to me is like right at the moment, Audrey, my baby, she is just doing all of this stuff that's missing and not getting mm. her mouth and tipping things too far. And and it's so fun to watch because like it happens, but it, which it refines, hopefully <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> I think that I she's going well. But yeah, like, you know, every time she's curious about the way that it hasn't happened the way she thought it might. Yes. You know, there's a, like, there is a tuning into um, the fact that it's not quite the way she thought it might happen. And sometimes it's fun that it didn't happen that way. And it's like, mm. oh, now it's a new thing. But, you know, there was clearly a sort of an intent and a plan. Let's just say to bring the cup up to her mouth and to drink from the cup. And sometimes the top of the cup is hitting her mouth and she's tipping the the water down onto her shirt. All like, it's just even coordinating all the actions and everything. But there's just this ongoing feedback between Mm. what happened, Mm. what did I get, how do I respond to that, maybe will I do it differently this time. So it's just if there wasn't adequate integration or potential for integration for her, then I feel like it would not continue to refine over time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask one more question about them working, you know, being really solid partners? Um, Can one, because they're so interlinked and rely on each other, I feel like I can still see in some kiddos one, you know, tactile can be um, not processing as well as probe though. Mm. 
even though it looked like, like, can you have the differences in those, even though they work as a unit, um, neurolog- neurologically, I guess, and functionally, like, am I wrong in thinking that that, that they process in the same way? Yeah. I think some of the individual differences we haven't really even begun to study enough. Some of it is that, mm different receptors have different speeds of processing. And so you mm-hmm. have, and then that ends up sort of creating this micro sequence in the way that it gets integrated, where just like you described, Michelle, like probe, 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 gel, tactile, tactile, tell probe. And there has to be this kind of relationship where, you know, the tactile of getting the vessel mm-hmm. onto your lip, then triggers the probe then the tactile you know they're interacting with each other in a sequential way Mm. and they're the different receptors actually have different nanoseconds of firing patterns that have to stay organized in sequence and we know that so often one of the primary problems that can happen with processing integrative processing is that there's sequences get out of and so you right. see miscoordination mm. and it happens all the time and we just refine mm. it we just oh wait i yeah. need a little bit more tactile or i need a little more probe to sort that out and so it drives mm. almost like micro moments of sensory seeking like oh i need a little more tactile to find where is the bottle on my lip oh i need a little mm. more so it kind of drives you to get more of what you need or I need mm. to squeeze it a little harder to have control of it in my hand. Um, so mm. you have this continual feedback, back and forth, back and forth, get more information um, mm. that smooths out the coordination. And we have little micro moments of miscoordination all the time mm. that get refined. And then as we practice mm. and rehearse and repeat, the chances of the miscoordination are diminished because the nervous system says, I know how to do that pattern. I know what it means to pick a vessel up from the Mm. table and bring it up to my mouth and get the liquid into my mouth. And so I refine the pattern and then I don't keep making those little micro Mm. mismatches and the matches start to Mm. drive the pattern and the sequence becomes refined and repeatable. And then you barely make mistakes anymore. And so the toddler Mm. learns how to drink and then they quit spilling. Because mm. now they know, oh, I know what this is about and I've got mm. the pattern down and I know how much force to put the cup against my lips so I don't dribble. And, the, mm. and they get that based on the mm. sensory motor experience, right? It's very mm. cool how it refines. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool how mm. toys for mm. babies are naturally graded. Not all of them, but a lot of them are, right? They're either bigger, they have like bigger handles i'm not even thinking about cups i'm even thinking about puzzle pieces or the object that goes onto something else like if it's a lid or something if it's a really classically graded baby toy it'll be bigger and it'll be easier for them to hit the target so they can get the idea of how to do the action and then i guess as they get it that it starts to sort of grade down and they can do it Mm. in a finer capacity and kind of what we do as ot's in grading the task right grading it to the appropriate capacity for success to get the action and whatever.
So Tracy, I just love that how you describe praxis without really saying the P word. <laughs> so in your <laughs> explanation then, <laughs> you brought praxis up first. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about praxis. Um, there's various categories um, that uh, uh, with under the broad praxis heading um, including a somatodyspraxia so perhaps let's start there and then um, see yeah. where we end up yeah for sure so, so the clusters we cool. think about like ears did this research to determine the relationships between the different kinds of basic especially discriminative processing and how it gave rise to different functional capacities so kind of in reverse by identifying the problem area she identified the cluster so somatodyspraxia is <laughs> a body-based coordination problem and it's the kind of most mm. classic dyspraxia it's where you have a hard time knowing about where your body is in space knowing how your limbs move in space knowing how your any any body-based function just how the coordination works and what you end up seeing is a reduction in tactile discrimination. So, you know, localization of touch or being able to identify moving touch and what does that mean and how can I localize it in? Can I tell if you touched me on the right side of my hand or the left side of my hand, on the top of my thumb or the back of my thumb? Can I tell if you touched me on my arm closer to my elbow or closer to my shoulder? And, you know, most of us take body schema for granted because we're pretty refined in it and we're quite good at it. Mm. So when you meet a child who literally cannot tell if they're supposed to move their foot or their hand in order to climb um, because mm. their body map in their mind is so unrefined that really their hand and their foot are almost mm. the same thing. Um, and those are the kinds of kids that end up responding beautifully to the interventions that we offer because we're helping them to have the tactile, proprioceptive, vestibular, social, playful, exploratory experiences that help them to fine tune and get the information that they need to make the homunculus make any sense. This is this body map in the stomatosensory cortex, in the thalamus and the cerebellum this map tells us about the detail that allows us to create these really skillful actions um and when you're when that map isn't fine-tuned trying to figure out how to pick a soccer ball or cast a fishing reel mm. or zip my zipper on my coat or or pick up a seltzer drink a cup of water without spilling all of that is super hard. So somatodyspraxia is one of the clusters that classically has really revealed itself to be a true dis disruption. And it's more than just a coordination disorder. It's somatosensory-based difficulty with coordination leads mm. to somatodyspraxia. It's a specific real entity. Um, that we can identify and through the easy tests or the old SIP tests, we can get really precise information to identify this quite, quite specifically. And then we can target our treatment much more precisely and efficiently if we know how to test in order to derive our treatment planning. 
So the Easy and the SIP, they would help you discern mm. the clusters out um, for your treatment planning, I'm guessing. Those would be the pinnacle of tests. But there are published Sorry. other resources. And what you have to understand is what is it that you're looking for? You can test tactile discrimination from other tests. You can link that to coordination function through other tests as well. And, and so like in the sensory integration theory and practice textbooks, there are some descriptions about how you might use other tests um, if you don't have those at your fingertips or you haven't been trained in that. We don't want to limit this by not having that training. Mm. And we want to encourage people to have the highest level of training. So it's kind mm. of both. Anyway, that other mm. clusters that I'll just tick through quickly. One is a really interesting cluster called a praxis on verbal command problem. So you see the same body-based awareness difficulties, but it really shows up when you use language to try to guide mm. the child to use their body in space. So you say, put your right mm. hand on top of your head and your left hand on your tummy. And they don't really have, it's not a language processing or cognitive issue, but they can't figure out, they start groping. And it's like, wait, you want me to put my hand where? Which hand where? And maybe they put their hand on their face instead of on the top of their head. And so location of the action mm. is confusing and it's hard for them to make sense of it. And it's a really particular cluster. Mm. We also see a cluster that's related. Go ahead. You can, I use that gestural praxis, test of gestural praxis can tease that apart when you give the verbal command and they do, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've seen them do it, you know, scratch your nose um, or whatever in the clean orbs, but then when you might go to do it in the gestural praxis, so to, like they are lost and then, you know, you do do this and they go, oh, is that all you're asking me to do, Michelle? You know, they don't say that, but their body just is like, oh, man, yeah. that's easy. Um, but they walk again, yeah. the next command, you know, can you thumb on your palm or whatever? It's like, whoa, thumb on palm. Like you see them, there's no automaticity in it. It's like, okay, let me find my thumb, let me find my palm, you know. Um, yeah, and they are either really delayed in doing that or slow to process that um, and it looks really discreet almost um, components versus they just go yeah slam and they've done it yeah, yeah absolutely so they can do it readily on imitation yeah if you say the words it's like what are you talking about it's a really particular coordination problem a really particular practice problem and then errors identified a couple of other clusters. One is more of a particularly based issue, but you do see proprioceptive difficulties in it. And that is problem of bilateral motor coordination. Um, interestingly, in bilateral motor coordination, you also see a lot of oral tactile weakness and that midline of the body is organized by the vestibular system. Mm. So I speculation anyway is that anything that's more midline oriented is going to be harder for a vestibular uh, or the for the bilateral motor coordination or bilateral um, integration and sequencing problem you can hear it referred to as both bilateral okay. integration and sequencing or a bilateral motor coordination problem but you yeah, see a I sequencing see... problem associated right. with it yeah, the acronyms I've had, I see a BIIS, so the bilateral integration and sequencing, is that right? And then, or BIS and BMC, 
bilateral motor That's coordination. It. So, but they're the same. They're referring to the same thing. Same yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, and there it's you know a balance based. Um, you'll see balance issues, really classic vestibular based mm. processing issues, and then these bilateral coordination issues. Often the right left, you know, um, coordination is really strikingly difficult, but bilateral coordination could also be you know, moving from the front of space to the back of space or from the top of space to the bottom of space. So bilateral is anywhere there's a midline and you see a breakdown in the smoothness and accuracy of the coordination in those planes. Can I ask about that one? I've always, you've just talked about it in terms of the vestibular component and moving in space. It's made me think that it's a it's the vestibular contribution that's critical rather than the body scheme proprioceptive. Like I've wondered about bilateral coordination is that they didn't have the probe um, uh, map, I guess, the map of the um, system fed by internally the proprioceptors, you know, on, on the skin, the tactile, and they weren't, um, coordinated enough into a left, right, top, bottom um, schema versus um, how you just said that then made me think that it's not necessarily driven by a, a, a pro-tactile making the schema for the bottom body that helps them know left and right. Um, and be able to alternate between the two or top and bottom. But how you said that made me think that the prime influence might be the vestibular system that's not allowing them to go left, right, top, bottom. That's exactly right. So Is that's that the right? way that you would discriminate <gasps> this in the <laughs> testing profile wow. is that the vestibular loading of, um, and then the, the functional capacity for bilaterality and balance are the ha hallmarks of that. And certainly there are partners to the mm. vestibular system, so they may be weak as well, but the hallmark issue would be vestibular versus somatodyspraxia where the hallmark issue would be propentactyl. And mm. the vestibular system may be a bit weak, but you see this more front loading of difficulties in, in mm. the somatosensory processing. And then you can have a generalized global wow. dyspraxia and you would have all of those issues showing simultaneously. Right. These are different clusters. You see groups, children or adults mm. who fall out in a really clean way into these different clusters. So they really do exist. They really are mm. difficulties we can describe and identify. And then we can have precise treatment plans that map directly onto those profiles. And that's what's so powerful about knowing the profiles. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com, or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care, and we'll see you next time.